In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Orange is lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Dead and Mars face evil's Hey everyone, I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 499A. Yes, we can't do 500 without Chad, supposedly. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I, I don't think that's true, technically or legally, but you know, we're, we just, we won't. Yeah, but, it, it's probably not in the fine print of the contract, but, but we do try to do the right thing once in a while. Yep, I mean, not a lot of fine print on those napkins. Anyway, <laughs> but that's okay, because who needs Chad? Because we have all of Wakanda to keep us company this time, Mark, because we finally have the long-awaited sequel to Black Panther, and part of me can't even believe it finally came out. <laughs> I guess that sums it up nicely. I get, I think so. Yeah, for multiple reasons. It seemed like this was a... The, the only movie probably that is going to seem even crazier when it finally comes out, well, not counting Avatar because that's a whole different animal, I'm sticking to the, the MCU, is uh, Guardians because that movie is going to be six years since the last one by the time that comes out in May. But yeah, I this wasn't I I wanted to watch go back and watch the original, which I didn't get to do. I got I got suckered into watching uh, the Elton John concert on. Um, Disney Plus last night instead. You know, that's similar. I, I see how you aim at one and hit the <laughs> other, you know. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to do, like, I, I thought, like, oh, you know, the week leading up to going and seeing this movie, I'll, I'll watch the first, I'll, I'll watch Civil War and then I'll watch the first Black Panther and then I'll just kind of segue into this and I just ended up forgetting. <laughs> Not because I didn't want to see the movie, but just because, like, plans and, and like, show dates kept changing. I did watch the Marvel Legends, those little three ones they brought in for tying it into this movie with uh, T'Challa, Shuri, and uh, Dora Milaje. So I did, I did, I did watch those for what it's worth. But I still want to, I still want to watch it because again, I don't actually think I've seen Black Panther since it was out in the theater. I don't really? think, I, yeah, I meant to watch it a couple of times, but this is the most, this is the most interest I've had. I've had in going back and revisiting it because I want to, I just want to see how I feel about that movie after seeing this one, because this, I surprisingly enjoyed this movie for a movie that I had really no interest in going to see. Um, really? Because this is the movie, this is like the, uh, like, you know, other than like Spider-Man or something like this was the phase four movie that seemed to have the most, most anticipation surrounding it for most people because i mean and part of it of course was to see you know how do they reconcile the real world events hanging over the cast but also also like black panther was one of the one of the like 
standout breakout hits as far as like next generation MCU properties went. Like, I still think that's probably one of their better movies. And, and critically, it's their best movie. Yeah. My concern about this movie, and it turned out not to be true, and that, that was a good thing. My concern about this movie was that this was going to be, it may not have been a one trick pony, but it was going to be where if you weren't so emotionally invested in feeling so depressed about, about the way this movie began and what they were dealing with, that essentially if you weren't some one of the people that were that was like tearing up or crying after the Comic-Con Black Panther trailer, that this tr- movie would basically n- not have anything in it for you because that was going to be all that it had going for it, that it was going to be raw, emotional audience manipulation. And that's understanding that that's pretty much what art is in most most of the time anyway, is that you're trying to manipulate your audience to either feel wh- what you want them to feel or just to get or out of curiosity to see what they feel, because you know it can go different. You're just curious to see what the reaction is. So all art involves manipulation of, of, of the audience. But I was afraid this movie was going to be like blatantly that. It's like, hey, you, we want you to feel totally depressed and downtrodden for like 85, 90 percent of this movie until we tell you now you're supposed to feel better and hopeful. And I'm not saying there's not elements of that in this movie, but it's hand, but it's handled well. I and. I think for me, and I, and I thought about this a lot after I got out. I mean, it's a long movie. Could it have been a little shorter? Yeah. I'm not going to, I was never bored though. This wasn't one of those things where, hey, I'm looking at my watch as the movie's like turns out to be, you know, two hours and 40 something, like two hours and 40 plus minutes. I was never looking at my watch, but it kind of, it dragged somewhere in the second act with all the stuff with Namor and, and, uh, with Talacan and all that. It dragged a little bit during that part of the movie for me. But I wasn't bored. But what I liked about this movie is now we knew the ghost of, of Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa was going to be hovering over this movie. That was a given. But what I but we didn't necessarily know was that the specter of Killmonger was going to be so heavy in this movie. And it works because that makes it a true sequel, because the events, the ending of the last movie, there's all these undercurrents. All this resentment, all this anger, all this frustration about how different people did different things related to Killmonger, that it all kind of bubbles up at different times in this movie. And I think that works really well. The fact that you have obviously uh, the queen has a lot of resentment towards Okoye because she was not someone who was willing to basically stand up and try to stop Killmonger right after T'Challa got, quote unquote, killed in Black Panther, that she because Nakia was the one who was trying to get her to, to join them and to basically overthrow Killmonger before he be, ever became before he officially was coronated. It's like, well, my loyalty is to, the, you know, to the throne, not to whoever sits on it until, hey, guess what? Everybody knew he was an asshole. That's one of the consistent things we'll talk about related to Killmonger later on. I'm sure uh, as we talk about you know the, how the movie plays out. But. Just the idea that, you know, the queen has so much resentment towards Okoye for that. Uh, there's obviously M'Baku has, oh, along with the fact, obviously, that Okoye's husband was loyal to Killmonger and helping set the stage for him coming in and taking over. You had the small council that Shuri kind of, you know, basically the Game of Thrones small small council in Wakanda that, that Shuri has a lot of issues with because they were all too willing to go along with Killmonger's agenda. And even and M'Baku has similar feelings towards Okoye and everything else. So it, it's really interesting how they don't kind of just sugarcoat it. Like it's like, oh, all's forgiven. It wasn't like that. And I think that also factors into how Shuri's journey in this movie. And 
I do think I do think I like that a lot, the way that they revisited those elements and which would have been really easy not to do. Yeah, because this isn't like your a typical movie sequel where, you know, the bad guy is defeated at the end of the first one and then we never have to really think about him again. Like Killmonger wasn't just, you know, the dude that T'Challa had to fist fight until he went down. He was a guy that that effectively overthrew the most most powerful nation on Earth and was get gearing up to go to war against every other nation on Earth. And that happened like a week before Wakanda like revealed itself on the on the international stage and everything like 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 there's nothing inconsequential that happened in that first movie as regards to Wakanda's status and its leadership so like going forward it's kind of impossible not to carry that baggage because like like so much of of what it means for Wakanda to exist now is going to be its existence in the context of the greater world. And those are the exact ideas and problems that Killmonger was so like pissed off at them for never wanting to think about. And now it is the everyday of their existence. That is, that is also true. So you have, when you look at how all how all the other nations in this movie, how all the other nations are looking to get their hooks in vibranium and how trying to like, hey, it's not fair to Wakanda. Of course, we find out that Wakanda isn't the only nation that has some kind of stores of vibranium. But the fact is that the world at large thinks it's all belongs to Wakanda. And hey, it's not really fair. The Wakanda is keeping it all to themselves. And obviously, they're not they not so subtly kind of tie that into colonizing and and colonial in the colonial era and things like that. But it is true that on one level, you do kind of see the outward threat that the world is, which is a good reason why Wakanda stayed stay to themselves to a certain extent. But I, but with Killmonger, I do like to see I pretty much everything I'd heard about this movie was true, except unfortunately, whether whether they actually shot it or just decided never to shoot it. That Dr. Doom scene is something that I still wish that they did shoot it. It's criminal. They didn't put it at the end post 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 credit. Because it wouldn't have ruined the friggin' movie. Literally, the movie had ended, and then you threw in a scene. But everything else I had heard about this movie pretty much played out, except I heard about the Killmonger scene that he, that Shuri, after Shuri is able to successfully manufacture the the artificial version of the purple flower, and she goes to the ancestral plane. Obviously, they did. I mean, I know they did think briefly about doing a CGI Chadwick Boseman. I am so happy they did. Like in in a world where Disney thinks it's the, a great idea to make a, a CGI abomination and pretend it's Luke Skywalker. The fact that they did not try to fake a Chadwick Boseman appearance in this movie anywhere, and that the one time you do see him, it's at the very end, and it's brief clips from the first Black Panther movie. Like, like I was beside myself because I had no idea that Disney would do something tasteful. (laughs) I mean, they still, they they could have, they, they could have pulled it off if they didn't use this, let's put it this way. If they actually use real images of Chadwick Boseman and they actually did, basically they made, they made sentences out of his actual words 
like they did, like they've done with Star Wars and stuff before, like the way they've done that with in the like in the the Force Awakens and things, and they've oh, no, they they could have they could have physically done it. I believe oh, yeah, they I'm could bad. have. I, I, I my issue is like the the place like the the a worst place to possibly do it is in a movie that largely revolves around mourning his passing like well, I, you I, you may as well drag his physical gravestone across the screen if you're going to make a cg chadwick boseman oh no i agree i wasn't what i'm what i where i was going with is that they could have used actual chadwick boseman and then just taken clips of his own dialogue and put them together to make new sentences like they yeah. did with like they've done with like they did combining like alec guinness and ewan mcgregor and obi to make an obi one statement and in, in words together like, like uh, I think in, in the Force Awakens when she touches the lightsaber and she has that for you know that kind of like that force back and she that is both Ewan McGregor and Alec Guinness combined when it says Ray these are your first steps that I think it's Ray Ray is Alec Guinness's voice taken from a clip from New Hope and then Ewan McGregor just says these are you know these are your first steps so they kind of but they could have done something like that but yes based but see that's interesting because you think about it. That's one of those things where if the script hadn't been rewritten by choice, by by no choice of theirs, by they were forced to do it, that that's something that probably that's that Killmonger scene in the ancestral plane with Shuri would not have taken place. And but in this movie, based on the journey that Shuri is on, it does make sense that she encounters Killmonger because she's on a very dangerous, similar path to turning to the dark side. And of course, because that's where her mind and her, or her heart is. That's why she sees who she sees from a plot perspective. Yeah. And if you're like me, who followed no news about this movie, seeing Michael B. Jordan show up for five minutes was a cool treat. But the thing, though, the thing that I had heard about that scene, which concerned me, was that it made it. It didn't when I heard about that scene, it didn't make it sound so clear that Killmonger was being Killmonger, which is that he's an asshole. They almost made it sound like. He was actually going to be giving her really he was actually going to be giving her sound advice. So almost like he was redeemed. And I would have had a problem with that because of people who still insist that Killmonger was right when he's not. And every time we've seen Killmonger in any version, including what if and in all the Black Panther movies so far, it's clearly that he's not right. He's wrong. Doesn't mean there's not snippets of why he's thinking how he's thinking isn't justified. But he's so anti T'Challa as far as his worldview and everything else. It's clear that he's wrong. Well, Killmonger is one of those, he's like, he's one of the most interesting villains, like kinds of villain, you know, where when he, like the things he is arguing for are pretty much objectively correct. Like he's like, Oh, what? Oh, Hey, there's this African nation that had fucking spaceships when the rest of the world had muskets. Um, why didn't you force slavery to end at any point? And like, like that whole chain of thought, like, like I'm sure once you start trying to act on a global scale, it opens up all sorts of other cans of worms. But at the same time, it's, it's hard to side against him on that kind of thing. And the, the where he falls off a cliff is where like he's he decides like okay well i'm just gonna gonna start killing everybody that i see as being the problem which you can argue was a direct result of him having to live in a world that wakanda refused to help 
So, but like like for me, Killmonger is is kind of like up there with Magneto in terms of like no, he's he's more or less right, but he's taking things to absurd extremes that aren't ultimately good for anybody. But yeah, like and like I've only seen this movie once in theaters. So I don't exactly remember everything that he said to Shuri in the dream, but it's like it definitely wasn't an Obi-Wan Kenobi force ghost moment. No, but it but it also wasn't like I'm seducing you to the dark side. It was like it was him making the same kind of of like like almost I guess the most dangerous kind of persuasive argument to her because it's something rooted in truth it's something rooted in emotional truth and it's something that that you could see being like you could see a rational person thinking that this is a good idea if only it was dialed back a little bit and that's where it becomes the most dangerous yeah and he was appealing he was appealing to her and it was resonating a little bit with her not completely because obviously she's never going to forgive him for what he did to T'Challa and what and will come and another important thing which we'll come back to in a second, but because of her how vulnerable she is, and because of she, the fact that she's lost every you know she has lost everybody at this point you know she now now which was kind of crazy that they killed off they killed off uh, her mom they killed off the queen in this movie so now she's down you know her so basically the king. You know, the father and then Tishala and now the queen, they're all gone. So, so Shuri's on her own and she's got all this anger and all this frustration. And that is just that's, you know, kind of like an- anakinizing her and putting her on on the verge of of, uh, of, a, of a tipping point. Not because she's being not because she's going to be seduced by anybody else, but just because she's going to see she feels this is the path to make herself feel better, which, of course, ultimately it really wouldn't if she went down that path. I was really surprised when uh, when her mom, the queen, Angela Bassett, died, and to save Riri Williams too. Yeah, well, it, it it the death was effective for me in that it kind of threw into doubt what would happen by the end because, like, like I didn't necessarily think we were going to get the death of any significant characters in this movie. I thought like we were going to be so focused on the passing of T'Challa that, you know, it it's it it never occurred to me that we would lose another character too. So when Angela Bass's character dies, I'm like, oh shit, okay. And then we get to the end in the final fight, and Shuri takes what could have very easily been a fatal wound for us for there was like a minute there where I thought like, is this are they is she is this gonna is this really happening are they killing shuri too because i don't know like who who knows what what plans they have down the road but like then you remember like oh yeah she has superpowers and also their technology and like she'll be fine but in that moment like the fact like the queen dying t'challa's death plus the queen's death made me question how safe anybody else was in this movie Yes. And then you had you, you have the other factors you have, you know, Okoye was kind of like because of her fa- failure to protect Shuri when, of course, the queen didn't even want her to take Shuri with her. And that she basically had the uh, like 
in the beginning of brand the old TV show branded having the stripes ripped off her <laughs> ripped off her shoulders and her and her sword broken and sent out. It's like get out that she's kind of, that she kind of I mean she kind of got exiled literally in in the movie too because she didn't have that much to do after after the like the first act in this movie. But but a lot of characters got side. I mean like and oh let me finish my thought before I get sidetracked. The the thing that ultimately, if you, if you ever have to debate about whether you think Killmonger is right or wrong, just remember he destroyed all the purple flowers. And he didn't do that for any noble reason. He did that for a power grab. So there could never be another Black Panther, nor anyone could challenge him, nor any had a way of justifying if anybody did challenge him. Hey, well, we can't nullify the black flower in me because we can't the purple flower because we can't put it back in. So it was all being selfish and being an asshole. If he if he was really care, if he cared about Wakanda, he never would have just destroyed the purple flowers. Yes, I would hope that people who are like Killmonger was right are saying it because they agree with like the base level of where his ideology came from and not the end state of his ideology. Yeah, I would I would like to think that, too. But a lot of people are just blinded by by one one thing or another. And they just that's why when I mentioned that when I first heard about that scene that. I didn't want them to give him a redemption moment, even if if even if it became clear that basically he gained perspective on the other side. The majority of people who think kill who fall under the wearing the Killmonger was right shirts wouldn't view it that way. They would just say, hey, we told you he was right. That's like, no, you're missing the point. He's telling you that he was wrong, but and he's acknowledging that he's changed his, he's changed his mind on stuff. But it's good that they didn't, because I think it's good that we at least have one character like, hey, he's kind of. A bad penny, no matter where, where he turns up. And so far, every single version of Killmonger we've seen is like that. So I, I thought that was consistent. Um, and Baku, Winston Duke was criminally underused in this movie. But when he was on screen, he was fantastic. I and love had, him as like the the older brother mentor kind of figure. Yes. And he had it. You see the growth in him, which obviously factors into where he is at the end of the movie. And we'll, we'll, talk, and we'll talk about that, too. But the fact that, yes. At some point, even though I don't necessarily know we have to, we're supposed to assume it was while T'Challa was on his deathbed or, or it was before the fact that he that T'Challa asked M'Baku to look out for Shuri and to advise Shuri. And all throughout the movie, basically, he's he's kind of he's if there's an Obi-Wan character in this movie, it's M'Baku because pretty much everything he's saying from a, from a wisdom perspective, a just a proper stepping back and looking at the big picture perspective. He kind of gets it right every single time. Like when Namor says, hey, just give us the girl. It's like, just give us the girl. And and that's and that's it. And it's like, well, if we do that, what's going to stop him from asking us for something more next time if we cave now? The whole appeasement argument, which is powerful. It's like appeasement never works because people would just keep taking in people and they keep expecting you cave once. They'll expect you're going to you, you're going to cave again. And that, then it's and it's great because like his you see his position evolve as new information comes to light because his first instinct is like okay well we can't listen we cl- we clearly can't listen to him because he'll just keep coming asking for more we should just kill him then later on after he like sees how his like people like act about him or whatever he says like well we can't just kill him because he is a god to his people and that will just create like an army of martyrs that are ready to like to like kill themselves to kill us. Yes, an endless war. So yeah, you and you and you do see the growth in him overall and the fact that not just in this movie, where he was in the first movie. I mean, he you know, he had his I mean, there were positive traits he had in the first movie and he's always been funny, but obviously he was a lot more he was a lot more on the outs and a lot less interested in probably the, 
overall, not just the politics, but the overall benefit or what was in the best interest of Wakanda as a whole. He was probably looking at it more from his clan perspective and as his character has evolved. So that's why. So that's why, you know, I guess because we, we're going to hop skip when we talk about this movie, when you when you when you get to the end and you have the, you know, which would be the contest, you know, the the contest or where like in the beginning of the first Black Panther where T'Challa would take on anybody who would who would challenge him you know, at the coronation and things like that, that you expect Shuri to show up. And of course, Shuri doesn't show up because basically Shuri is not Shuri herself, probably deep down or not so deep down, has come to realize, number one, she's not really ready for this. <laughs> she's not really cut out to be queen anyway. Uh, Black Panther, yes. Queen, no. And that M'Baku has pretty much proven himself that he probably is the, is the ruler that Wakanda needs right now. And it's also a very, and even strategically, it's very smart because if Shuri was going to be made queen, anybody could challenge her and she technically would have to, unless they come, come with an out that this artificial purple flower can't be flushed out of your system, that she would have to face that challenge, assuming it could be flushed out one-on-one and, and Shuri would get her ass kicked by anybody <laughs> Oh yeah, she would lose. <laughs> I mean, so it's it's a very strategic move to have, you know, to have your more physically powerful ally at the moment who is actually more prepared to rule anyway, that put them in the in the seat of power and you are the protector of Wakanda. And so I think the way they handle that was very very that was very clever and it points to, and it's interesting going forward because obviously you know, we'll talk about the post-credit scene and everything else. We don't necessarily know how, how things are going to unfold by the time we see an, a, another Black Panther movie, but there are multiple ways to go to get you where we think, obviously, they're going to ultimately go. But, but yeah, I thought I thought he didn't have much to do, but what he did was very important. You can make a case like Ross too was another character that maybe didn't have really that much to do at all, but it was nice to see him. But he really didn't do much in the movie other than yeah. Just being a foil for Julia Louis Dreyfus and finding out that they were married, which is, you know, interesting, I guess, onto itself. But yeah, I, it was kind of interesting to have like have a way have like a perspective in the room of uh, like what other countries are saying about Wakanda behind closed doors kind of moments. But it all like his inclusion in both black panther movies always feels to me like like somebody in the studio is sitting there going like should shouldn't we shouldn't we put a white person in here somewhere will white people come see this movie if we don't i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean i i i think i think you can always look at it that way and i'm not saying that that's there's not truth in it i think in the first movie in the first movie it's a he serves a valuable role because again and you kind of get a reversal of this in this movie. Then the first movie is like the whole world thinks Wakanda is this backwards country and they have nothing to offer. And then he realizes how incredibly advanced that they are. And Wakanda has kind of a comeuppance in this movie, too, because they think they're the most advanced country. And they are overall, but they think like they're the only country in the world that has vibranium. And, they, and they're, they're only they only have this amazingly advanced, the most advanced society that nothing ever comes that nothing even comes close to on Earth. And then you find out they're wrong. That their whole identity is built around being vibranium this and vibranium that. It's like, well, guess what? They don't have all of it. So the, I, the reasoning, the, it was a good retcon, though, is the, the idea like, well, you know, most of the world is water. So if another vibranium 
astro like meteor hit the ocean somewhere probably nobody would have found it oh yeah i it it makes perfect sense yeah it makes perfect sense that there's that there would be some more vibranium somewhere and because that's that's based on based on the rumors when Do- when Doctor Doom was supposed to have his his more MCU reveal in the post credit scene, the the story behind it was that that expedition to find vibranium in the beginning of the movie, we were going to find out that the person who was behind it and sent them in that area to look for the vibranium to begin with was Doctor Doom. It wasn't perfectly clear that vibranium alone was the main goal, or whether if we can get vibranium, it's a plus. But the idea was to put Wakanda and Talakan on a collision course. So that was never really clear, I think, in what I read about what the post credit scene was. But you were supposed to find out that the uh, the Doctor Doom was behind that. I, I'm i kind of glad they didn't do that because the way we got it feels more so much more natural. You know, like Wakanda revealed itself to the world, showing the world the potential of vibranium. Therefore, the rest of the world wants vibranium. But everybody thinks Wakanda has it all. Wakanda won't give them any, so they go searching everywhere else for it. Thus, they end up right on Namor's doorstep. And that feeds in pretty perfectly to the backstory they gave Namor of, you know, his first encounter with the surface world ever was going ashore to bury his mother and immediately encountering, like, a plantation of slave owners shooting shotguns at him and base and that one formative moment telling him that oh this is how they treat each other this is how they'll treat us and he then spent the his entire life waiting for the day that the the rest of the world shows up on his doorstep which they now have because of the actions of Wakanda I can absolutely see that. To me, the reason why I liked I liked having Doctor Doom show up at the end just because it would have added some it would have added some weight to Phase Four. It would be pointing the direction into Phase Five, heading into obviously building towards Secret Wars, and it would, on some levels, I think it would have erased a lot of sins for Phase Four, if if you had this big this that you know that not only is Doom coming, Doom is really here and he's already had influence on to a large extent on on the mcu i know why it, on when the people say how it wouldn't have fit i understand i mean but again to me part of that argument is again it's, it's that audience manipulation again i mean the 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 the, the other post the mid-credit scene is exactly that that had been out there too that makes perfect sense that that they kept that so that's kind of like your uplifting thing that and it makes sense because that would explain why the kia stayed away for six years because she and T'Challa had a kid and that was the best place to keep him out, of, uh, keep him out off the radar screen. And I like that. It's, it's fitting. I, I still, I mean, Lupita Nyong'o is another character that didn't have as much to do in this movie, but she's another one who makes really good use out of the time that she has on the screen. I like Nakia. Uh, yeah. I've always thought I like Shuri and Nakia. The one of the things I did notice, it must be I must, it must be my weakness for braids because in the first movie I I thought Shuri and of course she's in a different place, so that's part of how you're acting too. But Shuri, I thought I thought Shuri was cuter in the first movie with the longer hair, 
than Nakia was with short hair, even though Lupita Nyong'o almost always has short hair anyway, and she's gorgeous no matter what she does, so it doesn't matter. But I thought Nakia in this movie with the braids was a fantastic look, which has nothing to do with thumbs up or thumbs down. It's just an observation. I just thought Lupita Nyong'o was like more stunning than usual in this movie with, with, with the way she looked. But she didn't have a lot to do, but it was an important role. And especially when you find out that, you know, pretty much the queen knew what was going on that not and also the queen you know the queen always had tons of respect for nakia because if you go back to the first movie which i do remember to begin with this scene is that when they thought t'challa was dead and they only had that one purple flower left the queen wanted nakia to take it uh so on on that note some one thing that kind of stuck out to me in the movie and i don't have very many complaints about this movie i have i basically have this and one other thing that we'll get to but uh the like going into this, it was never explicitly stated who was going to be Black Panther. Like I'm sure there was leaks and rumors and whatever, and and like the the one trailer showed us this the scene where you know Shuri's Black Panther jumps down from the plane, but even even the first reveal the, with the cloth coming out. You could you could tell that that certainly wasn't Mbaku's ass. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like oh, there's gonna be there's gonna be a Black Panther. It's it's going to be a woman. That at the same time, this this series is filled with like kick-ass women. So it's like like they they went out of their way to not tell us who was going to be Black Panther. I always assumed it would be Shuri, just because the comics did that before. Like there was a time when T'Challa was exiled or in outer space or something and they needed a Black Panther. So Shuri did it. So I'm like, oh, well, it'll probably be her. And throughout this movie, unless like unless I'm just forgetting dialogue or miss something, nobody ever really there's not really any talk of like like her mom wants her to be the Black Panther or Shuri does or does not want to be the Black Panther. It's always, can I or can I not recreate this heart-shaped herb so that someone can be the Black Panther? And then she recreates it and then just sort of hops up on the table and is drinking the thing. And I'm like, I feel like we we like missed a step here. Like, has has everybody been us just assuming that she was going to take it? Like, is this even a thing she wants? Cause like, part of me thought like, like they, you could have kind of easily looked at this as like teeing up a Koye for it, especially since she needed like enhanced gear for her, uh, her grudge match rematch against that other Atlantean, uh, not Atlantean guy, but you know, yeah. a, t- a Tumna, right? That was a Tumna in this. I th- I think so. It, but it's, it just, it struck me as kind of weird how like the movie just treated it as a given that, well, of course this will be Shuri's thing that she does. Well, I think they, wor- they work around it, I think to a certain extent, because by, by conveniently putting the people together, they do, while she actually is able to really convenient, you know, do ex machina, uh, being able to use that bracelet that Namor gave her as a as a gesture of peace, been trying to convince them that hey, our societies are pretty much alike. That that's more just conveniently enough had the right had the right material along with you know having T'Challa's DNA and and everything else to to fill in the gaps, basically like Tony Stark making the time yeah. GPS. It's like but, I'll, I'll, we'll take a little piece from this, a little piece from yeah. this, a little piece from that. Yeah, but they work around it because the only three people that are really there when she's working on it are Nakia, 
and Ironheart, and you're not going to give it to Ironheart. She's the, not... the, the other person there is the person they tried to give it to in the last movie. <laughs> yes, but don't forget, even though, even though, well, we don't know if, I don't, I don't remember the whole conversation, but I don't know if, how, I don't think Nakia was gung-ho to take it. Either. Oh, no. But don't oh, forget, no. now she wouldn't anyway because she has her son. She wouldn't want to do it no matter what. We don't know that yet, but she's got a more, but... But the reality is so based on circumstance and based on the fact that much like a lot of a lot of these science, you know, the, the genius characters we see in these in these movies that at the end of the day, they wouldn't they they're not going to have some some schlub tested anyway in case it goes horribly wrong. They feel like if someone's going to test it, it better it better be me. But, oh, also, also, this is an excellent vehicle for Shuri to get her revenge personally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She. Because that's what she wants. She, I mean, she she's full of rage and anger about everything, and now is having Namor, you know, Namor killed killed the queen. Whether he, you know, whether he intended to really kill her or not, doesn't really matter. I mean, he set it up where the odds were not looking too promising that he wouldn't. I yeah. mean, you don't you don't throw a fistful of grenades into a room with somebody standing in it, and then get to say oops i guess she died yeah <laughs> like, i mean I'll, i'm i'm playing i'm being really devil's at more devil's advocate than usually i am and i try to be that the reality is he was trying to get the point across hey we could we could have taken you all out but that's not what we want so so take care of your dead think think things over think things over differently and then we'll and then we'll talk so but yeah it was absolutely a means a means to an end for her and plus what, what was it like what did the computer say? The AI said like it was like what like ninety seven percent or whatever yeah. it was a match. So that was that, that certainly was a and also and plus it also goes back to the whether you like this or not the way they handle the fact that when T'Challa who dies because of a virus we don't know what virus it is that when she's desperate you know that she is desperately was in the beginning of the movie is trying to recreate the purple flower thinking that if she basically can give him a double give him a, a fresh dose of this maybe that'll help cure the virus and she can't put the pieces together now we know shuri's been working on this logically because it's shuri since the end of the first movie to try to recreate it she just hasn't been able to 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 do it but they do kind of give you the caveat which i'm not sure some people took took issue with that they basically say that oh t'challa was they basically made it sound like t'challa was too prideful to let anybody know how sick he was until it was too late and if he had just basically let of all people if he had let shuri know that maybe Shuri would have maybe possibly would have been able to at least come up with a version of her purple flower that wouldn't have been like we got at the end of the movie, which was almost a perfect match, but would have been maybe a 30, 40, 50 percent chance of being able to recreate at least some of the chemical reaction that might have been enough to save T'Challa. So I, I, some people I, I know had issue with the fact that they basically make it sound like, oh, uh, he's just he was just too arrogant and too prideful or to not to. To not let somebody, not everybody, let the, in his inner circle know how sick he was until basically he was pretty much dead. Well, here's the thing. Let's talk about this for a second because this is the way T'Challa dies in the MCU is something that absolutely 100% cannot be talked about just as the way the character dies in the MCU. Because this is like, like the biggest question I had going into this movie was how are they going to handle the absence of this character? Are they go like are we are we going to see 
like some battle where uh, like somebody in a Black Panther suit runs off and never comes back. Like, uh, like what are they going to do? And what they ended up doing was they more or less gave the character the exact same end as Chadwick Moseman had because and I could be misremembering some of this because it was a long time ago now, but he was essentially, I, I forget if it was, was a cancer. I think whatever yes. he had, yeah, like, was, he I think was, it was, yeah, it was cancer. Yeah. He was basically, he was essentially battling cancer in private. Like I'm sure there were people in his life that knew, but most of like most people didn't. And like the last handful of times we have seen him on screen that was him toughing it out and acting through the pain because he was like, he was actively losing his battle with cancer while filming his last batch of movies. And it wasn't until later that we found out like, yeah, no, he just, he wanted to keep living his life and doing his thing and eventually succumb to it. And like, that is the same thing that happened to this character. So like, like, yeah, I understand the impulse to think like, well, you have like the smart, one of the smartest people in the world in the most advanced lab on earth. Surely she could have done something else. Like, yeah, maybe, but like, we're not just talking about saving the life of the fictional character. We're all, we're talking about mirroring the fictional character to the actor that played him and there, like like unless you're gonna say like oh yeah t'challa got on a spaceship and went to another dimension for with with dr strange and he's never coming back like there's no way to to have her save him and not have it be an immensely disrespectful like like at that point why would you even write it in that he was going to be sick at all I can see that. You also have the one other thing you have a problem with. I mean, you, you could have a problem with it. We know their technology exists where you can you could very easily just throw them in a cryogenic chamber until you until you have a cure. You could have done, they could have done that because we know they had that technology. Hell, they had the technology. The Hydra had that technology for Bucky like in the sixties. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's the kind of thing where, like if you really want if you really want to want to go down the road of like like poking at it from an, a lore perspective then there's just as much you can say to 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 excuse why they didn't you know now how about the fact that he's the fucking king and if he doesn't want you to do something to help him you don't get to do it or you'll get exiled or thrown in jail and he's he's like the king and the black panther that's like double king you gotta listen to it you know it's 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 like like i love getting into the weeds on like like geeky stuff but like this is not one of those cases like they did what they did because of what the reality was not because of uh, not because it crosses every t and dots every i of like the fictional continuity i agree i i did i per i personally didn't have an issue with it i just I just know I remember reading stuff about that. It was some some people did make mention of the of that of that fact. And you know, my dad was actually he told me going into this movie, he was nervous that the whole thing was going to be about mourning Chadwick Boseman, which, you know, from a perspective it was, but really what it did was like it gave every 
every important character in this movie this one central thing to bounce off of and and like like you said like Nakia's performance and like contribution to the film it wasn't huge but it was impactful and it felt meaningful and I think that's because of what this core event gave her to work with and work through and deal with and how that that changed the nature of her interactions with all of these other characters, most of which were the family of this person that, that they all loved. And like, it's it like his death was the driving force for everything that happened in this movie, but not in a, not in a way that made it feel like, the tragedy was a chain around their necks. I agree. Like I said, when we started to me, that was, that was my fear about this movie that that's what, that it was going to be such an albatross that it's like, it's going to be like, Hey, to be reminded that Chadwick Boseman's dead or T'Challa's dead. It's like, yeah, that, that's one of those things where I thought they handled that very, very well. The tone, you know, like I said, this, his, you know, his spirit is, is hovering over everything in this movie, but, but they do it. They do it in a. They do it in a very classy way, and it doesn't take. And while yeah, you it there's obviously there's some some things related to this plot. I mean, are like okay because but that's true in most Marvel movies. Like the Riri Williams thing. I mean, I wanted to like probably because I have no background with her at all in the comic books, which I know most people hate her. But I have no background. Uh, I thought the actress seemed like she'd be likable even before I saw the movie. I wanted to like, and I didn't dislike her. But I don't know. I can't say that I liked her either. But she yeah, she had like they did a lot to introduce her and set her up. And then she didn't really do anything in at the end. You know, no, like, yeah, she, they purposely set her up to be the MacGuffin in this movie. And then th- that MacGuffin becomes useless by pretty much by middle of, of the second act or towards the end of the second act. And then it's no, then it's no longer relevant. It doesn't really matter anymore what really happens to her based on the actual the conflict and what and what what's going on. Yeah, and, I mean, I think on paper, like her, the way they justified her introduction makes sense. Like that made like I was fine with like that whole setup of like, like, well, where did they even get this? Where, like, how could they have made a machine that can detect vibranium? Oh, well, like, here's here's this this. uh kid genius character that we're introducing i'm actually surprised that she was just some random college kid because i thought like like oh maybe she's going to at first i thought oh maybe she's someone from wakanda who like loves like the the you know the american superheroes and she wants to be like iron man or something then i thought you know last movie ended with t'challa and and uh and shuri setting up these like Wakandan outreach centers that were going to like specialize in like, you know, teaching like science and technology and all that kind of stuff. Is she going to be someone who kind of comes up through there? So I'm, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of strange to make her just like, here's a, a child prodigy basically who is building impossible things out of junk in, in like her uncle's garage which you know what I mean the MCU has plenty of those kind of characters already so it's not like she's out of place it's just like her ultimate 
contribution in this movie was to shoot Namor once so that he can fall in the Wakandan ship and and uh have Shuri take care of him. <laughs> so okay. I mean for me she like she like I really I really do love her Ironheart armor. Like what the the suit that they make in the 10 day window that Namor gave them for some reason. But it's a uh, is like a really cool sleek looking looking set of Iron Man armor and I hope to see it again. I hope I hope to see her and that armor suit again. And I feel I I'm sure we will. But this like just sort of set her up and then looked in the other direction for a while. And I want to see more with this character. I'm torn about the whether I thought the, the way they introduced her worked all that entirely because of the fact that we know. I mean, she's being introduced really so because she's getting a Disney Plus show. So that's how they so they chose to introduce her in this. I think what you said would have made more sense if she was somehow part of their outreach program. If she was or she basically had let's say she had got she she had earned a scholarship and she was and she was working in she was working in Wakanda or even if even if the that those plans had already kind of like come to fruition to build that machine and and she had already moved on to something else and hadn't even thought about it anymore. Well, that's why, she, well, that's how she developed it. And then maybe somehow those plans got, you know, got, got leaked or got uh, hacked or something. I w- would have been nicer to have more direct ties, I think, to Wakanda. I, I, I would agree. That's why it kind of seems a little bit, a little bit forced, but. I mean, in terms of like the bigger picture of the MCU, this should be a movie that people like just because it's like, all right, we got a new Black Panther. We got the introduction of Namor and all his people. We got Ironheart and everybody had like this was basically one big introduction table setting story for all of these people so that they can be used in other stuff later. Yeah. And you're and just like. Even the stuff with like Ross, you're going to assume. I'm guess you're going to assume at this point Ross is going to end up going to Wakanda. I since, I, I assume so. I mean, yeah, where since, else could he go? And, and that was an and that was an interesting subplot too because you're they're clearly setting him up. I mean, he no matter how you justify it, he is being really a tre- he really is committing treason if he's working against his own government. So, but in the movie, you're, we're supposed to be quote unquote rooting for that. <laughs> So it's kind of it, it is a re- talk about manipulation. I mean, that that is a very interesting decision that uh, because he having not just ties to personal ties to Wakanda and especially to Shuri for saving him, but just having a close relationship with T'Challa and everybody in Wakanda that from his time there that he understands Wakanda and he has certainly loyalty to that. But yet, you know, he is kind of leaking them information that he shouldn't be well arguably he shouldn't be leaking them if he's still going to be working for you know the government if he's you know that so they and it, it is it is interest just the whole dynamic about how uh julia louis dreyfus and her character what her real what her real motivation is period which of course probably we're not going to talk we won't entirely have a clear picture maybe at least until probably the Thunderbolts movie entirely, I think, what's going on. We know she's up to no good on a certain extent. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear that she has her own agenda. We're just not going to really know exactly what that agenda probably is, at least until the Thunderbolts, and she's going to be a major player in that movie. Did you like Namor? I did. I did. Namor is a character... I mean, the, the MCU had an advantage going in, in that they were going to come up with like a new 
version of Namor designed more for the mass audience to latch on to. And Namor in the comics is a character that I've never really cared much about. Like every now and then there's a story with him in it and I like him in it, but I never walk away from it as a Namor fan. This time, I don't know. Like I, I think like, I don't know the name of the actor that plays him. I'm terrible with names, but I think he did a really good job. And as, as he was kind of giving Shuri the, the tour of, Atlant, uh, not Atlantis. That was another thing. I was surprised they didn't go with Atlantis, but uh, it makes sense for the purposes of this movie. Giving the the tour of what was it, Tal Talacon, Talacon, yeah, and just like like here's how this came to be and what we've built, and here let's like go like say hi to some of the people that live here, and like I don't know this this version of Namor and the society he he lives in and rules over. I don't know. I kind of like it. I like it. I'm would be happy to see him show up again. I presumably <laughs> when the Fantastic Four have a movie or two, he'll pop up just to say, you know, just to say hi. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a case of, hey, here's a Marvel character I never cared about, really. And they made a version that I kind of like. They certainly made a more. It's kind of hard to say he's a kinder, gentler Namor, but compared to the to the comic book version, he still is because Na- Namor is kind of a, he's another one that's in the comic books. He's kind of always an ass. There are times when he's less of one and, and there are times when you, and again, you can justify why he's the way he is, but he's very rarely rootable or, or likable. He's, it's just, you can respect him, and th- but, but it's a fine line with him. He's, he, you know, he's, he, I mean, he has some arrogance in this movie, but it's not. But he's not nearly as arrogant as the as as the comic book version. I did like the tie-in with him with Mbaku making his like so it's tying tie, tying him into arguably being as strong as the Hulk, which obviously is a nice comic book reference point. Oh, like the slow motion. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. What he said in the meeting room there. Yeah, yeah. because 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 obviously that's because Namor is one of the characters in 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 Marvel comics that is arguably physically if not a match for the whole close, I mean, pretty much leaving out other characters that created like in more modern times, like century or anything like that. It's pretty much Thor and pretty much Namor about the only two characters that really physically on earth are ones that can go toe to toe with the Hulk and Namor at least always has an out because if they're fighting in the water, then Namor is going to win. And if they're fighting on the land, then eventually the Hulk's going to win. <laughs> I love the fact that throughout the whole movie, Mbaku is calling him Fishman. Fishman. <laughs> and then when and then when he shows up, he's like oh, Fishman, and then get, just gets one punched across yes. like the he gets city. Guy Gar- he gets Guy Gardner. Yeah, and but that- he was just that moment, like he was so happy. So that he like, oh, there's the fish guy. I can go kill him now. Oh, this is cool. Yeah, that was that was. And I do I did like the the uh, strategy the strategy aspect of Namor from the perspective that you know even when he even when he loses at the end he still kind of wins yeah at least from from his perspective he still kind of he essentially got what he wanted just in a in a, in a different way so I do because and that he's very very confident in explaining in explaining you know why he wasn't really. On the surface, like why he wasn't upset about you know being defeated and everything else and making and making peace with calling a truce with Wakanda and everything else. It's like, well, because essentially nobody they're they're gonna keep their word and no one's gonna know no one's gonna know we exist. And so that means everybody in the world 
literally is going to be coming after them for their vibranium and they're going to have no one else to turn to yeah. for help. So at the end of the day, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be in a, we're, we're dealing from a position of strength and we still got what we wanted short term, which was to keep, keep ourselves out of the papers. And like, they just made themselves indispensable to like, I, I believe he, the way he phrases it is the black Panther is the most powerful person in the most powerful country on the world. Yes. And, and like, that's the thing about it is like, like not only was Shuri's journey taking her down a path similar to Killmonger's, the the situation that uh, Talakon is in is almost exactly the same as Wakanda, except they're they're more ready to be openly hostile against the rest of the world. And they're like, also, and they're also not as advanced as Wakanda across the board. They're somewhat of they have different skill sets and they still have the vibranium, but they're not as super tech techie as Wakanda. Yeah. Yeah. But like, just see, like, it's so funny to see like Shori be surrounded by the, the ways that her life could go down the wrong path, whether it's her conversation with Killmonger or her dealings with Namor and how confronting Namor is almost the thing that makes her the most like the both of them. Yes. Major. Okoye was right, though. Okoye was absolutely right. That blue armor is hideous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think a lot I don't think a lot of people like the Midnight Angel armor. I, um, is that a character? Yes, is, it's it's in I believe it is from the books. Oh god. Yeah. Um yeah that that one that that wasn't a plus. I it, it was I did like the fact that, you know, Shuri's Shuri's costume, of course, it included some of the elements that we expect from Shuri with with guns and things like that that we've already yeah. that we've already seen her use. Yeah, there's uh, retractable Mega Man cannons on each yes. arm. That was awesome. Yeah, kind of almost like Cyborg Superman's gun, too, that he has yeah. on his arm. That 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 is cool. I do like some people pointed out like her fighting style was more cat like than we've seen before. Now, yeah, she's going to know how to fight because she's Wakandan. <laughs> well, I mean, she, also, she's like she's the princess of the royal family. Like, do you think they're not going to teach her how to defend herself? Right. I mean, she's she she's not she's not going to have the, the the pedigree or the experience of a Koye, of Nakia, of T'Challa. You know, this is basically her first go around. I mean, even when we've seen uh, Shuri in, in all the other movies, she's never fighting hand to hand, which doesn't mean she wasn't trained. It just means that's just not her specialty. And of course, come on. I love Leti- and Letitia Wright. It's fantastic in this movie. I, and I, everybody talks about Angela Bassett, justifiably so. But Letitia Wright is the heart and soul of this movie. She carries this movie in her in her journey is what this movie is about. I love her. She weighs probably like 90 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> I would bet you anything that as soon as Shuri was old enough to know what a spear was, she, like five days a week, her daily training regiment with like somebody, like whether it's her brother or a Koye or some, some, she had some combat instructor from an early age. Absolutely. Right. It's yeah. just that as she grew up, she leaned more towards science and technology and stuff. So like like if anybody's gonna be out there like, oh, but when did she learn how to fight? Like just shut up. Yeah. D- d- come on. Yeah. And it's something that obviously she should get better at now that, because she probably will train more 
And besides, she can, if not, she can do stuff from a technological perspective from her suit, maybe even to balance that out. Because we know now they also have an out from a power perspective, because we don't even though this they did. We don't know anything really about what that fake artificial with the artificial purple flower does. They can always give us some mumbo jumbo that it ends up actually making it ends up making you actually stronger than the purple flower, the original purple flower. Yeah, did. maybe. Because from a visual perspective, yes, it would be nice. And it would be, and, it's, and yes, it would be hard for her because she is such a slender woman that it would be nice if they were going, if they're going to continue her to be Black Panther, at least for the next few years to put on a little bit. Of- yeah. And they could always say that like, you know, like once it's been in your system for a little while, you'll start to bulk up or something. I mean, I mean, I mean, put this in perspective. You know who never had any combat training? Spider-Man. He just got powers and just sort of wings it and he That's gets true. by. And so, like, I think, I think, like, no matter what, like, like the fact that Shuri has superpowers is enough of an excuse for why she can suddenly fight, just like it's enough of an excuse for why she can not die from being impaled by a spear, you know? Part of me actually wondered, like, is the... Is the um the the heart shaped herb project going to be a failure, and we're going to get a Black Panther that is entirely super powered through technology? Like I I I wasn't expecting her to wear the ugly blue thing, but like, are we? Would we see like, oh, her Black Panther suit is the source of her strength and speed and agility and that kind of stuff, and it's entirely science based, which they didn't end up doing, but. Maybe they always they could augment it like that as a later time. They could, but now that we know that T'Challa has a son who will eventually, you would think, in the MCU, if it goes on long enough, eventually be Black Panther and rule Wakanda. That you you have to have. I don't think they want to go that route. I think I especially think going the, going the way they did to recreate that recreate that flower and the fact that they were planting you know they were planting the fl- the, the artificial flowers that I think we're the thing that, again, we don't know is it was a 97% match. What is that other 3% going to do? It can be a plus or it could be a minus or, you know, we, that's what's going to, what, that's what's going to be interesting. They're being consistent by not having her bulk up because it didn't, it didn't have, you know, T'Challa or Killmonger's physical, you know, physique wasn't impacted when they had the purple flower out of them or in them. Yeah. So it's not like, it's not like uh, the Erskine super soldier formula. Where it physically it made it had a huge physical change on you besides what it did to your strength and everything. It just it changed you physically dramatically. That uh that's not what the purple flower was was ever like. So you can get away with it having Letitia Wright be so be so thin, but it would be more believable, obviously, if she gained a you know she gained a she doesn't I mean she doesn't have to be huge. She just has to like do like do, like be at least as big as Natalie Portman was. <laughs> I love the moment where uh, she punches a dummy across the room, and then Riri's like, "Can I, can I have a sip of that too?" Yeah. Or <laughs> right, right, right after Nakia's shit. <laughs> For me, this is if it's not my second favorite Phase Four movie, it's it's number three. I put it number two now because I haven't seen Shang Chi in so long. I will go with the freshness of my visceral reaction to this movie. Spider Man's still number one. I'm curious to revisit Spider-Man because I wonder, like, once you get over the thrill of seeing the three Spider-Men together, 
how good of a movie is it really, you know? But yeah, this is definitely up there. This is, you know, in in some ways I couldn't think of a better way to end off phase four. And I think it was, you know, obviously wasn't made under ideal circumstances, but considering everything that happened, they, they made a really good movie that also was a really good send off for a beloved actor. That's perfectly said. I, I do think, I do think overall it's a, it's a good way. It's a good way to end phase four, phase four, as we've discussed, certainly if you, if you leave the TV shows out of this phase four is kind of, is a serious mixed bag when it comes to certainly from a critic score perspective, the fans really seem to like Wakanda forever, certainly more than the critics. But if you look at it, we, we have some serious, we have, we have a whole bunch of underachievers. If you look at, if you look at phase four from a, from a, from a movie perspective, because you have, you have Spider-Man, which I think is number four. No way home is number four. I think of all time from a critic score perspective, I think Shang-Chi is nine. I looked at these like about a week or so ago. Black Panther, I think is 17. Cause I think it's still at 84% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, this uh, is like all time score. Yeah. This is, if you just looked at the, there's thir- it's I think there's 30 movies now in the MCU. So I think Spider No Way Home is number four. I think Ch- from a Rotten Tomatoes critic score, Shang Chi I think is nine, Black Panther is seventeen, Black Widow is nineteen, Multiverse of Madness I think is twenty five, and right at the bottom of the barrel, twenty nine is Love and Thunder, and thirty is The Eternals. So you don't have a lot of bright spots when you look from a critic's perspective. I mean, you literally have uh, three like at the bottom six movies of all time, are from Phase Four. And you and you only have you have two movies in the top ten, which is good, but you only have two in the top fifteen. <laughs> so yeah. uh, that's we really need Phase Five to be better. Even if there's not going to be a th- more, if there's not going to be one lot straightforward connective tissue between projects, it's got to be better. Uh, you hope it is. I mean, you have is you have two heavy hitters coming right off the bat. You got Ant-Man with, with the Kang factor, and then you have guardians. I don't know what to expect out of the Marvels. I don't. Um, but I think they've got, they need to do really well with both Ant-Man, I think, and, and guardians. I mean, guardians is going to be the last guardians movie. So you're going to have some sentimentality, at least with that group of characters. So I don't know. I think, it, I think phase four ended well, as well as it could with this, with this movie. That's why to me, I like the idea of the doom scene because of the fact that it would have whetted your appetite perfectly for, for what was coming. It would have pumped people up for stuff that was coming. I uh, guess so. But but, I mean, but, I, it, but it, I can't say it didn't work without it. It did. I just, it was, but obviously if they were going to have that scene in it, other parts of the movie would have had to have been different because they structured the whole expedition differently based on the way it plays out on screen it doesn't mean that they, they a little bit of, of snipping here and there wouldn't have made it work but it was not supposed to be almost like a straight up like government ops thing that this movie i think gives you the impression that it is that's not the way when i had read the stuff i had read about this movie it didn't make it seem like it was straightforward officially like government sanctioned it was almost like it was a independent you know a private expedition to try to find vibranium and that's where dr doom was basically the one putting the money up behind all of it but 
the thing that scares me is the idea that, oh, we, we may not see Dr. Doom in phase five or we may not even see him in the fantastic. It's like if we don't see Dr. Doom, it would be not just because we know Dr. Doom plays a significant role in either version, either Secret Wars storyline that if, to not have Dr. Doom appear to like face after phase six would be a waste, especially since it seems like the mutants are going to be the focus on by the next saga after the multiverse saga. So I don't know. But I think it ended well. I think it 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 ends on a on a positive note, and it just kind of it kind of gives you a little bit of hope that not just from a Wakandan perspective, but just from the MCU, like you mentioned, that there is a lot of connect. There is more connectivity to different things in this movie that you certainly you could see that they could build on and take in different ways. So I did like that. It kind of it kind of did go back. To its roots a little bit on that level, I think. And I think that now with the post credit scene, the post credit scenes have been very self-contained in the majority of phase four, which I think is one of the reasons why they don't work as well. But the movie itself, I think it, it they've counterbalanced that, I think, well enough. I think if there's one movie in phase four that really didn't need any post credit scenes at all, it's this one. Like I like I I would also I would also very much like to see mcu doctor doom but i feel like this isn't really the movie to tack something on that says ha, what's coming next like if anything like like i i understand the them putting on the scene that we did get at the beach with uh t'challa jr but like I, even then like that's kind of only okay because it's a scene that is about the central conflict of the movie we just watched. Realistically, I think the best way to end the movie, period, is the scene we got with with uh, Shuri on the beach with the sun right behind her face, going in and out of her memories of her brother, and just kind of with like some little music playing and like c- cutting to black. Like, like I kind of I kind of wish there were no. Sk- credit scenes for this movie kind of like kind of the same way that like i felt like okay it is kind of appropriate that the uh the typical big bombastic mcu intro scrawl was just clips of t'challa as black panther this time instead of the whole avengers cast but yeah this this movie was super solid very few complaints i can't wait to see it again (laughs) i walked out of that theater thinking like wow so much happened and that was so long i need to process this and i'm glad we did this like a week after that um but just kind of looking at phase four as a whole you know like if i can understand still being disappointed with it if the thing that you're here for is is the bigger picture and the connectivity of the universe but when i look at this list like i'm like okay well black widow that was okay Shang-Chi was good. Eternals was bad. Spider-Man was good. Doctor Strange was good. Thor Love and Thunder was bad. Black Panther was good. So like there's at least of as as far as I'm concerned, there were two duds in this whole lineup and a few that were kind of in the middle of the road and like a handful of them, at least half of them almost that were really good movies. And that's that's not even counting the TV stuff, which. I had no idea until I looked this up earlier that all of the Disney Plus shows are in phase 
four. That feels like it started so long ago. But yeah, I mean, the biggest problem with phase four is is that it didn't have an overall cohesive direction for the entire phase. Like it didn't have that target that the entire MCU was moving towards. And if that's a deal breaker for you, then yeah, you're gonna there's gonna be frustration. There's gonna be be a sense of uh like maybe you'll feel like a letdown. But that doesn't take away from the fact that there's some legitimately good stuff in here. And yeah, I mean, I guess like we've talked, I feel like we talk about this every single time we talk about the MCU. Like, like, is it a, is it a failing and a weakness that it's less connected in this phase than other phases? You say yes. I say not really. It's just down to personal preference at that point. But I think phase four, I think now that phase four is over, well, I mean, after the Guardians holiday special. Does, is that part? I don't know. Is that really part of phase? Is that still part of phase four? I don't uh, know if it is. I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess. Is Werewolf a... by Night part of phase four? Yes. I, I don't yeah, know. that's phase. That's part of phase four. Oh, yeah. Werewolf by Night is in phase four. So phase four gets like six additional points. <laughs> but I think I think phase four is I think the frustrations of phase four are going to largely disappear now that we're out of phase four. And you can like, you can look back on it and see it as the totality of what it is and not have to question what it's doing or what it's there for. And just sort of take it on its own terms instead of like waiting to see what role it plays. I'm trying to get the answer to our question. It <laughs> seems to be, it seems to see. It's supposed to be the epilogue of phase four. I believe that's what they said. That's Neat. what gun. That's what, cause that comes out next week, right? Oh, I don't know. I assumed it would be in December. Mm. Well, December is technically next week. No, uh, I think actually correct me. I thought I'm, I said next week cause I'm losing track of time. I think it might be November 26th. So it's a fifth. So it's this week. Oh, geez. Yeah. Why are they putting out a Christmas special this early? <laughs> hey, Thanksgiving is the new Christmas. Yeah, I guess. But, you you got to put out your your streaming special on Black Friday so everybody can go to the store and buy it. But yeah, so I guess technically it's an epilogue of, so you are correct. That, uh, yeah, I think if the overall projects in Phase 4 were stronger, especially the movies, I think people would, I think it's easy for people, or has been easy for people to zero in on the lack of connectivity and moving the overall story forward in the MCU, where they're going. I think it's easier to zero in on that. It has been easier because the projects have been so hit or miss. And there's been, like you said, there's been two to three good, good things. And there's been two really bad things. And there's two ones that are pretty much dead solid right in the middle. I think that, I think that's part of the problem that there was, but phase four, basically is basically is over and then it, let's see let's see how it begins with ant with ant-man let's see if ant-man begins phase five solidly and gets it gets us off in the right in the right direction yes we ant-man is going to get w- us one project closer to everybody screaming just put all the new kids in a movie together come on See, only a fraction, a portion, a portion of the audience is cheering for that. But, but. I mean, come on, they, we've got, we've got now, we've got 
a new we got Hawkeye, we've got Miss Marvel, we've got Ironheart. We're getting uh 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 I don't they're not gonna call her stature in this movie, are they? Who? Uh uh Cassie Lang, Scott's daughter. Uh no, I don't think they're uh, not in this movie, I don't think. Either way, we've got at least four super kids that can be on a team together now. Let's do something. Yeah, but I don't know if that's going to solve the MCU problem. <laughs> you can make know. it. You can make. You can make a case that will make it even worse because you're 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 going to alienate the the non people who are not in that age group. You're going to alienate almost everybody outside of that age group if you if that's going to be the if that was going to be a huge focal point of just like. Before and we don't want to talk about this too much longer, but the reality is, it's just like the, the longer they we wait to find out who the hell the, the Avengers are, becomes just as much of a problem. Depending, it becomes as much of a problem as who they really are, not just how long it takes for us to find this out. Because just slapping the Avengers label on a bunch of six characters together isn't going to be the be all end all. I mean, if it's if it's all a bunch of B tier, you know, if it's the junior varsity group. For the most part, that's not necessarily going to make people <laughs> happy either. <laughs> they're kind of between a rock and a hard place on that level because, I mean, yeah, they're going to work around it in Secret Wars because we're probably going to see literally every single version of every single character that we've always loved, and from Fox first to uh, to Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and all these other people, even if they're not our versions of the characters, we're probably going to see them. But the reality is, I I don't know what they're I don't know what they're I think they're going to work around it because we're going to get a whole lot of X-Men. And I think that's how they're going to work yeah. around it. Cause the, cause the Avengers by themselves, they, I think they kind of know that you're the characters that, especially if with Chris Hemsworth winding down as Thor, that you're not going to have a lot of heavy hitters left that people really care about. So, well, also you're the, if they go the route that they seem to be going and they're basing secret wars on, uh, on the the Jonathan Hickman run of Avengers and New Avengers and that whole Secret Wars event, that was literally crisis. That was literally, hey, the multiverse gets destroyed and then rebuilt. And that gives them, like, they basically have the freedom to do Spider-Man No Way Home, but with everything all at once. And, and like, like, if you wanted an excuse to recast anyone and everyone and bring characters back from the dead who died and all like 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 i you want to have tony stark come back as iron man again okay after the secret wars movie you can have a new you can have tony stark played by another actor as iron man and it'll work out because of the way the timelines have been mushed together you know that i think we're definitely going to get that we're gonna get that with Iron Man, we're gonna get that with Captain America, we're gonna get that with Thor. All recast across the board. Maybe that's how you get a new T'Challa. And like by that point, it'll have been like so many years that like, yeah, everybody would be would be more accepting of that change, especially since it's been so long since the original actors were gone. And hey, they came back. Most of them, whoever was able to come back, came back to play the part one last time in our big weird multiverse event. Well, because there's, there's a bunch of different saga names that supposedly Marvel copyrighted right around the time that we got the announcement that they were really calling phase this phases four through six, the multiverse saga that there's, I forget, I forget what, and I'm not going to find it in time now that 
But there's another there's a name, another name that they supposedly copyrighted that some people think basically I don't know if it was not the eternity sack. It was something that there's they that some people have speculated that the ultimate goal of that when you when they get when they get done with that saga, which is like probably would be like two more sagas down the road. That mm-hmm. the whole point of that, that will basically be the reboot of the MCU. And then they'll just and everything will just start over again. So then you'll basically recast everything and you'll just do different storylines with these characters that you never did before. But uh, but I think you, I think at some point you are correct. They're going to have they're going to have to at some point. They're going to have to do that because you, you're not you're not going to want to go indefinitely without uh, Captain America, a Tony Stark, Iron Man, a Thor, especially if Hemsworth packs it in. So you're not going to want to do that. At some point, you are going to want to reboot. So it does make it. I don't know if they're going to do it at the end of this saga because of the fact that. Uh, but they, you're right. They could. But we also have to see how, you know, how this if it is at all the catalyst for, for bringing the mutants in, uh, bringing the mutants yeah. into the MCU. Yeah. And in the meantime, they're investing in the future. They're going to be bringing in the X-Men. They're going to be bringing in the Fantastic Four. We're we're getting people like moon knight and she hulk and daredevil and all that and hey we can get some kind of young avengers or champions or whatever they want to call them because you know to your point it won't appeal to everybody but at the same time a lot of people like like uh teams of young heroes and if it's if that helps get a young like secure a younger demographic maybe then that's in in uh the benefit for the entire franchise as a whole i would agree all right dan what do you got oh me well if you love the mcu then you should definitely check out my youtube channel which doesn't talk about it at all (laughs) which is mosaic comics it's primarily a green lantern analytical video essay channel where i just i love talking about green lantern i refuse to stop you can't make me (laughs) and I, and it's it's just it's kind of it's my passion project and my home on the internet where I just I just want to geek out about my favorite thing with people. So if that sounds like fun to you, come on by. Which I, I my last couple of videos I just talked about uh, heroes in crisis and the infamous Hal Jordan moment where he expresses that he doesn't know what willpower is. I go in in depth on everything we know about the new Golden Age Red Lantern, which is having a much more positive reaction from people than I expected. Uh, lots of Red Lantern talk, actually, because I've been kind of going Red Lantern crazy over there, talking about the uh, the run where Guy Gardner joins the team and makes it into one of my favorite green, favorite Lantern books of all time, the run of Supergirl that ties into it, where we explore, like, hey, what would coming to Earth, having lost your entire planet, but you've been in suspended animation. So for you, it was alive yesterday when for the rest of the world, it's been decades. Like, what does that do to a person? And how do they process that? It's it's a fascinating kind of story. So and and not for nothing, but uh, next year is going to is shaping up to have a lot of Green Lantern stuff coming down the roads, particularly in April with a couple new books that were just announced. So it might be a good time to subscribe to not only the lantern cast but also mosaic comics because all of us are going to have a lot to say about some potentially really cool green lantern material very soon 
all of us except for maybe Chad. <laughs> <laughs> who's that? I I don't know who that is. Yeah, we think he's been taken out of the timeline. He, we we made the deal. We we get the Golden Age Red Lantern back. They take Chad away. <laughs> oh, cool! Everybody wins. Says Parallax. That's it. <laughs> All right. So for us, LanternCast at gmail.com. Website is LanternCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag Geocast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. So please leave us a positive review on all platforms you listen to us on. Last but not least, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail or a text, 708-LANTERN, and let us know what you think. And when's when's the next issue of Dark Crisis coming out, Dan? Uh, that would be the final issue, right? Yes. That is, that's actually going to be later than the rest. This is uh, Dark Crisis number seven is December 20th. So it is plausible. And li- I should say it's it's more as likely that that'll maybe that'll be one of the ones you and I do while Chad's gone. And we'll just leave it at that. Oh, uh, he would want he would miss the end mm, of Dark Crisis. Yeah, I think I think somehow he could he could actually be OK with that one. I can I can hear the tear, the single tear going down his cheek right now. <laughs> That's pretty much all it would be, I suppose. But that is that is certainly something we would we can consider doing if uh and when is the John Stewart thing pushed to? One week after that, December twenty oh, seventh. December December is a big month, the end of December. So the December twentieth is the end of uh Dark Crisis. Then same day, we got DC Stunned at Gods, which I love. Then 27th is John Stewart, the Emerald Knight, and Justice Society number two, and the Tales from Earth 6 uh, Stanley celebration, which has uh, the, the uh, Just Imagine Stanley created the DC universe, right. that, where it's like an anthology telling a new story about each of them. So there's a new one about uh, his Green Lantern in there. So the end of next month is going to be huge. (laughs) (laughs) Makes you nervous. Dumping that Green Lantern book like right at the end of the year makes you wonder if they think it's like a a turd. They just want to flush down the toilet real quick. You know, it was supposed to come out almost exactly a month before. So I don't know what's happening. Like, I'm sure they wanted to get it out before like a certain fiscal quarter ended or something i don't know what dates those are but and maybe to allow more separation between that and the soon to follow john stewart book which will not be written by jeffrey thorne but we'll talk more about all that stuff probably probably when we do the dark crisis episode (laughs) yes well hopefully by then there will be details because so far it's just like here's who the writers are and both these books are promising to get back to basics whatever that means plus we all all we really know is that the how book starts first i guess they're both in april I don't know if, if if it was confirmed that John Stewart starts in April. I thought the How book starts in April and the John Stewart book starts sometime after that, but I could be wrong. I thought and I read that somewhere. It doesn't mean what I read was accurate. I don't know, but, but we'll, we'll we'll get it right in a month. Yeah, well, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. So this episode should go out. I'm gonna bust my butt to get this episode out the week of Thanksgiving. So <laughs> so uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yes, you have two days, Mark. Happy Thanksgiving. I know. <laughs> I have two days, but luckily I'll have uh well, I'm going to the movies Wednesday night. That could be oh, a problem. God. But I will I will I have Tuesday night. You're never I, gonna I, so make I will it. I will do a lot of this tomorrow night and try to get it done. You won't make it. Edit, Mark, edit. Are you <laughs> I'll, are I'll you, get it done. Are you editing yet? Oh, <laughs> come on. Good night, everybody. Oh, good night.